Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. But first up, delighted to welcome Roger Varian to the show. We've spoken uh, across the airwaves many times on Luck on Sunday, but never have I had the pleasure of getting him here in person. Such are the demands uh, on a man with hundreds of horses and, more importantly, three children on a Sunday. Happy Easter, Roger. Yeah, happy Easter to you, Nick. Good to be here. And there is a, a genuine reason why I've managed to secure you this Sunday, isn't there? Well, it, it <laughs> works early in the season, doesn't it? We're not as uh, frenetic as we are in the summer. And Hanako and my kids are all in Japan, so uh, no family that, commitments that, today. That is the real reason, isn't it? Yeah. How do you find balancing that? Clearly, we're all people with busy lives, busy family lives, but for someone who has to be supervising that many horses, being all over the world, and raising a young family in, in Newmarket, how do, you, how do you cope with that? Um, Pretty well, by the looks of it. Yeah, look, it, it presents uh, challenges. You know, training horses is a 24-7 you know, occupation, very much a lifestyle. But, um, you know, I compare how things have been over the last 10 years, having children to some of my friends who might not work in racing, might work in the city. Mm -hmm. And they might work Monday to Friday, get up before the kids are up, return home after the kids have gone to bed, see none of them at all through the week, and then, you know, really have to commit weekends to them. I'm very lucky. I, you know, we're, we're local, we're a new market. You know, we live practically on site. Yes, we work very hard. We work all day. We work early mornings. We work late nights. But I can dip in and out of a house I can dip in and out of their lives and you know really I, I see them every day even if it's just for short moments and you know I, I try not to to miss bedtime and you know so yes we're busy but I find um, I find there's lots of opportunity to get to you know little, little moments with the kids most days. Are you someone who's quite good at compartmentalizing at sort of separating and you know, apportioning little bits of, of family time and being able to to, to concentrate 100% on the training when you need to? I think so, yeah. Um, always try to keep things real. And, uh, you know, the kids are a great uh, asset, really, in, in keeping everything in perspective. I can go home and switch off pretty quick. You know, I, I generally don't take uh, take things home with me. Um, there's moments uh, in training racehorse when you can't have the kids around um, at the races, you know, big races when when there's pressure on results you know it's very hard for you to 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 manage your your own expectations mm -hmm. other people's expectations around you um, deal with your own disappointment and maybe upset and at the same time play father so you know at certain times you know you struggle to to do everything at the same time but um in the right moments i can i can switch off very quickly if i'd asked you 15 years ago for example um where you would be now. What do you think you would have said then? What did you want then? I, I would have probably said, maybe not with a heap of confidence, but I would have said to be somewhere similar to where I am now. Yeah. You know, I was hugely ambitious as a, as a youngster. And when I was assistant trainer, you know, with the ambition to be a trainer, I wasn't, I didn't have an ambition just to train horses. You know, I wanted to train horses um, to a higher level as possible as many as I could and, uh, you know, to, to, you know, to train horses um, with a lot of quality. So, um, yes, it's very hard, uh, you know, when you're young to predict, uh, you know, how the dots will, will align going forward. But I, I would have certainly had ambitious plans 15 years ago. So you said you're hugely ambitious, hugely driven. I mean, that's, that's self-evident given the way things have turned out. But was that something that was always in you from a, a very young boy? Were you, were you a very competitive child? 
can't really remember. Um, <laughs> I guess I was, yeah. Yeah, I guess I was. Um, always quite self-motivated and, and driven. Um, I, I've been very fortunate in life that I, I fell very quickly at an early age on a, a passion. And I've been able to turn that passion into a way of life, you know, and, and, and work, basically. So I think when you're really passionate about something, um, it's much easier to give your all, you know, every day in, into what you do. So um, I know that not everyone's uh, as, as privileged to, to, to work and, and do what they love doing, you know, and I, I'm one of those lucky people that that is. So I guess, um, you know, the ambition and, uh, uh, you know, ch chasing success becomes part of that. But I'm very fortunate that it's actually about something that I love doing. So it has to be something that you, you want to do in order for you to be motivated. You couldn't just sit and, you know, grind yourself into the floor doing something that wasn't that interesting to you. Well, I'm lucky that I don't have to, and I guess exactly. a lot of people do. You know, if you, everyone has to work in life. Yeah. Um, I don't think everyone is lucky enough to work in something that they generally have a passion about. No. Um, I do, so you know, I, I consider myself fortunate from that angle. And where did the where did the spark come from? What what really instilled that passion in you? Um, as a kid, really, I, my mother's from a farming family. And she put us on ponies as kids, and we rode, and I, I hunted, and I did a bit of pony club. Um, and that was my connection to the equine world, I guess. But from that, I always loved horse racing. Mm. I loved going to the local point-to-point. -point. Um, I loved the Grand National. You know, that sucked me in. Um, I was a huge jump racing fan as a, as a kid, Channel 4 racing on a Saturday. You know, I was a child who would probably up, be upset if I had to go somewhere on a Saturday and miss Channel 4 racing you know yeah. I was a so I guess I was a fan you know the ponies got me going in the equine world and then I became became a fan of horse racing and and as a youngster as young as I could remember I wanted to be a jump jockey growing up so I was um probably much to my mother and father's horror I was very tunnel vision I couldn't wait to uh, escape school and um start working in racing what was the first time you you rode a, a racehorse when what was your sort of first experience of this industry yeah, so we grew up very close to Kingston Blount point-to-point -point uh -huh. course and um, Alan and Lorney Hill, Lorney Hill, um, training Aston Rowan, two miles down the road from where we were living and um, weekends and, and Easter holidays as a maybe 13-year-old, 14-year-old going into Alan and Lorney's yard, mucking out and riding a few point-to-pointers would have been my first exposure, I guess. And uh, they're people who, who are you know, tremendous to, to ground you, I would guess. Very much so. Proper people, pro proper ho horse, horse people. And, um, you know, I was green as grass, of course. I've got no, no horse racing in my family. And, um, but it was a great introduction for me. And what were your parents thinking at the time? I mean, were they... Tr were they <laughs> you're smiling. <laughs> were they encouraging you or were they sort of trying to steer you in a different direction? Well, I'm smiling because I'm a parent now and I have to think what I would do when the time comes that, that our kids start choosing their path in life. And um, all I can say is that I can't remember ever any doubt from mum and dad about what I wanted to do. And I've got no doubt they must have had huge doubt. But I, all, all I remember is encouragement. That's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so on you went. When did you land at Josh Giffords? So I... Yes, I was in um, had a short spell in America, well, more than a short spell, I had two and a half years in America from age 15 to 17, because my father's business took him to mm -hmm. California. So I finished high school in America, and I came back from America, and I worked 15 months for Ian and Toki Mackay. And I had my first summer in Newmarket, aged 18, working for Michael Jarvis as a summer job. But I still had the ambition to be a jump jockey. Mm -hmm. And I wrote to five jumps trainers, asking to... You know, with ambition to be a conditional jockey. And the only one who wrote back to me was Josh Gifford. And I drove down the next day and, and, and met with him and uh, took the bags down about two days later and started work that Monday. Uh, he was sort of coming toward the closing stages of what had been an amazing training career at that point. Just give me an idea of what it was like at Finden then, you know, what the people were like, mm -hmm. what the atmosphere was like. It always strikes me that you think of them as very happy days. A hundred percent, and I don't think I'll go back and change that 
of a world, really. I sort of call them my university years. I think I was there from age 18 to 21, three years. Um, fantastic time, great people. We've got, met lifelong friends. Josh was a fantastic man to work for, um, very old-fashioned, um, demanded a lot. You know, you had to work hard. Very fair man, though, as well. Um, I'd like, like to hear you enjoying yourself as well. And I thought it was a great, um, not only a, a proper in, uh, introduction to the industry, but um, a place where you could learn proper life skills. Welcome back. The lovely thing for Neil Channing is that when the credits roll for this programme, and he knows he doesn't have to be until half past nine, he can send the producer a text message saying, just getting out of the bath. You think I'm joking? Here he is. Judge for yourselves. Neil, I only, I only missed the first ten minutes. I, I was listening intently to Roger. Very good. Um, how are you? Uh, I'm all right. Not too bad. I, have, I haven't seen you since before Cheltenham, mm -hmm. which seems like eons ago now. Uh, yeah. yeah, I had a good Cheltenham and a poor Aintree. Okay. So it's, uh, it's all been... But I'm, I, I, I used to be one of those people that never had a bet on the flat until the craven started. But I, I've, I don't know, I've got older and less wise. Uh, I was really pleased to see the flats going well, though. The, the other day I settled in, I thought, I watched some sand racing in the evening from Kempton and Southall. <laughs> I turned it on and there's hedge hopping going on. What the hell's that doing in the middle of May? Ridiculous. Well... Well, luckily, um, Roger is here with us, so he has the monopoly <laughs> on wisdom for the next portion of the programme where we try and look back on some of the classic trials this week. We'll start um, with the Greenham yesterday, where Charlie Appleby didn't have a runner, uh, much to the delight of most of his rivals, I'm sure. This was a race that was won by Richard Fahey's Perfect Power, who had won the Middle Park Stakes in the pre-morning last year. Yellow Silks, Christoph Sumio, the question before the race was, would this horse stay well enough to make up into a 2000 Guineas contender? Angel Blur, a horse rated his equivalent was running keenly to the fore under Frankie Dettori and Lucille, a horse who won the gym crack by a long way and um, was not raised too far behind them, has run through in the maroon cap for a, for a good third. Roger, does this, over seven furlongs, give you the impression that we're watching a, 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 a miler or a sprinter in perfect power? Well, he, he saw it out well yesterday because I thought he was in trouble uh, you know, a furlong and a half down and he did see it out well. It's very very different, you know, a flat seven at Newbury to a to a stiff galloping mile at, at Newmarket. Um, I'm not being very helpful. I'll probably sit on the fence. He he has a chance of getting a mile, but whether he gets a mile as well as some others is is possible possibly doubtful. Is there a chance because he's by a stallion who did very well last year, but a speed sort of a speed stallion and a stallion who did very well with two year olds? Is there a chance that we're we're slightly looking at him through that prism too much rather than trying to assess what he's actually doing on the race course. Yes, we're all guilty of it, aren't we, looking at pedigree and, and looking at what they did last year. Um, I just watched him at that again. You know, he's, he's, he, he's, he's seen it out very well, you know, and he was under pressure two down, so he's had to see it out. Um, you know, that, that horse is very good last year. He came from a back to win a middle park. He's obviously got an awful lot of speed. You know, it would be up to them whether they have a, have a go at the guineas, but you could definitely see him back down in trip in a Commonwealth Cup or, or, or a jersey or something later on. Mm. To what extent do you think that, that Commonwealth Cup route now that's been established for a few years, to what extent is that becoming a bit of a disincentive for you to roll the dice when you've got a horse in that kind of in-between area? Um, it, it possibly is, but I don't think it detracts from either race. You know, I think the Commonwealth Cup was a, a um, brilliant uh, introduction, and um, past winners have proved, you know, proved it to be a success. And I, I wouldn't say that you'd have said the Commonwealth Cup in any year that it's uh, since it was introduced has had a detrimental effect on a Guinea's field. Mm. So I think they work uh, very well together, and um, I don't think the Commonwealth Cup at this stage affects their decision on whether to run in the guineas or not. No, because there is, of course, only only one opportunity to go to Newmarket, and that's the beautiful thing about it. What would you do? Because we're going to talk to Richard Fahey in a minute. Well, we talk, we talk don't we, about this is the time of year for, for dreaming, isn't it? Mm. They're all unbeaten. Well, not really, you know what I mean. Not all the three-year-olds are unbeaten. But the dreams are alive. The dreams exactly. are all alive. So, um, 
if the dream's alive, you might as well, you know, roll the big dice, mightn't you? You might, you might as well have a go at the guineas because there's only one guineas. But from a punter's perspective, does does do double figure odds about this horse? No, well, done almost I, nothing. I, I, do they make any appeal to you against Native Trail each way? Not, not really, not really. I mean, I, I don't like to back horses that are doubtful stayers each way. So, because you, you, if you lose, you know, if you lose, you lose both bets for the same I reason, see exactly where you're which is from. a bad thing to do with each way bets. So, um, and 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 the favourite just looks so solid in the guineas. Um, I don't know. I mean, Richard Farhi is absolutely flying at the moment, though, isn't he? Luckily, I checked the running order. I'm not about to slag off the trainer. You're just about to ring up. Uh, he's he's going really well. So, I mean, that would be a, a tick in the box for it, but. Yeah, I don't think I, I wouldn't be rushing to take the prices. Right, we are going to talk to Richard Fahey. We are just trying to get him on the line now. Before we do, perhaps, let's have a look at the Craven and just see the standard that Perfect Power and everybody else has got to aim at. This is Native Trails. Yeah, powerful performance against horses who admittedly had an awful lot to find with him. Roger, do you think this horse has something a little extra about him, or was he just beating up on inferiors? No, I think he's got extra. He, he, I was hugely impressed uh, with his performance, and you know he should have won as he did. But uh, watching come down the hill, I thought William was toy, toying with the opposition. It was a beautiful bit of riding, and uh, horse switch leads under him a couple of times coming down the hill. Um, but he looked in second or third gear really, and you know when he when he met the rising ground, he did what he did um, in the superlative uh, on the July course and in the. Hurst on a Rowley Mile when he hit that rising ground, he was very impressive. I, I was mightily impressed with this. He's an interesting mover, isn't he? He's quite unconventional the way he gallops. I was talking to Norman Williamson about him for the podcast a few weeks ago, and he mm. was saying, because he sold him as a breeze up horse, and he was saying that when he first got on him, he thought it was a bit weird that he kept changing his legs and wondered whether he was getting a bit unbalanced. And he said, in fact, he was every time he changed his legs, he was just quickening. Yeah. He was just quickening all the time, and he, he hadn't really ridden a horse who was quite like that. Yeah, I, I love what he does off a bridle, and you know that's a true test of a horse, and that's what separates um, very good horses to exceptional horses. It's what they do off a bridle, and, and this horse, you know, in the, in the Dewhurst and in the Superlative, um, you know, looked in trouble three out, and it's what he does final three furlongs, which, which separates him. It reminds me a little bit of um, I remember when Dawn approached one of the guineas, and he was under pressure, three and a half down, and actually the more um, the jockey sat into him and asked him, uh, you know, the, the quicker he went. And I think it's a, a great trait in a horse in, in what they do under pressure. And, of course, the, the, the received wisdom is that Godolphin have got just as good a one or perhaps a better one in Caribus, Caribus, Caribus. I've heard it pronounced three different ways this week. Uh, Caribus, who worked on the Roly Mile this week. Neil, we'll talk about the merits or demerits of racecourse gallops in a moment. But on what you saw of Caribus last year as a two-year-old, how big a threat do you think he is to Native Trail? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know we are at the time of the year where there's lots of stuff going on, going on off the race course, and uh, it, it was interesting in the run up to the Craven meeting that Native Trail was quite strong on Betfair for two thousand guineas, and Caribus was a little bit weak. And then they choose uh, to give a trial to Native Trail, but to take Caribus straight to the guineas. Uh, I don't know whether that shows you that they've got an idea at home about which which one. You know that they had an idea this time last week about which one was the best. Uh, I think I think it must show that, doesn't it? I, I, I think well, if you trail. can if you can intuit what that means, I, I'm good luck to you because I I sure as hell can't. I, I I sort of felt like that was the vibe going into the Craven meeting well, that Native Trail was the, definitely the stronger we, of the two. We're we're sitting with a man between us who's actually got his ear a lot closer to the ground than we have because you're you're in Newmarket every day. What's the vibe in Newmarket about these two horses? Um, we're, we're close, but I don't think any closer to... Um, <laughs> You're man, geographically the, close, the, but the, not the spiritually, man yeah. sat on my right, I wouldn't know the thoughts within uh, Charlie's camp, really. But, you know, I, I, I would imagine that, um, you know, Caribus won an autumn stakes last year, which is a mile. Um, a few weeks ago, Charlie nominated the Greenham as, as his trial. I should think the closer they got to it, they maybe thought, does he really need a speed test over a flat seven furlongs against a horse who won the middle part? Yeah. And, you know, maybe if they're happy with his condition, you know, Charlie's proved it before. Um, you know, 
horses can be prepared without a, a trial and win the 2,000 guineas. We were doing a bit of homework um, recently because we have Bayside Boy who we've decided yeah. not to trial. And I think eight of the previous 12 2,000 guineas winners at Newmarket didn't trial. So I, I don't think he felt he had to trial that horse. I think he's got a fair idea how good he is. And I thought he possibly thought by trialling him against speed horses at Newbury, it might be detrimental to his preparation than going straight to a guineas. Uh, might, because he's quite a hot horse as well. Might yeah, that, that, that I don't know. And I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know... Um, oh, we're only guessing. Yeah, but I'm, well, I'm I've guessing, been down there so, the other week talking to him yeah. about it. But, yeah, um, yeah it, it's interesting. I'm a fully paid-up member of the Caribbean fan club. I, you're saying you're not trialling with Bayside Boy. Mm. Is that because of your horse, though? Or because you've looked at that data? No, because of our horse, yeah. but in in um, in the data, you know, you can sometimes get confidence. It doesn't change. Your, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't really, mean does anything. It? But um, you know, it's interesting. If uh, I've never down if, as a trends if, man. If if, <laughs> if, if if ten of the last twelve, you know, winners trialed, then you know, a month ago, you know, maybe gone uh, stepping on my gas a bit harder to to get to get to a trial. But um, no, I was. Uh, happy where we are with our yeah. horse and um, you know we're still up in the air a little bit as whether we'd take him to Newmarket or France. He's not going to have a problem staying the trip though is he? No he's, he, he's in good form and um, we were delighted to see Lasalle run so well mm. in the Greenham yesterday who was behind us in the Champagne Stakes and you know he, he, his form stands up pretty well from last year. It does right in the mix with all those yep. two year olds who are just in that little bit bubbling under yep. what native uh, trail achieved. So will perfect power stay the trip in the guineas? Of course we don't really know and Richard Fahey yesterday in interviews with um, Tom Stanley and with, with Matt Chapman was somewhat equivocal. I wonder if he can be a little more un uh, a little less equivocal now he's on the line. Richard morning. Good morning Nick. Um, I, I think you sort of shared what everybody was feeling, really. It was a terrific performance. He switched off really well. He showed a sharp turn of foot. You were delighted, but you were still, in a way, left scratching your head a little bit. Um, how, have you, how did you reflect on it on the journey home? Oh, to be honest, uh, I wouldn't say... Uh, look, delighted. Uh, when, when, when you've sort of got a smart two-year-old, as, as, as everybody knows, the first thing you want is, is how, how they're trained on. Um, and, and we are sort of preparing for a guineas, if that makes sense. Uh, so, as everybody else know, you, you train them a little bit different. Uh, and I didn't want yesterday for him to be fully wound up. And this was D-Day. It was, it was, it was a, a, a trial and a prep run for the guineas. Um, but initially, after the race, I didn't want to jump on the bandwagon and say he's definitely going to go or he's not going to go. Um, I just... I'm just delighted to see him to see him perform so well because I, I do feel there's improvement in him, and uh, it was a great result for me you know, and the horse. He was almost sort of sleepy, relaxed in the mid part of the race. Were you really pleased to see that? Yeah, as, as you can imagine, you, you, you're training a horse to, to 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 race over a mile, and you're training a sprinter. The the two different horses. Um, you know, this this guy's cantering cantering from the bottom of our gallop, which is quite a steep gallop. So we we are. Got him in, in relaxed mode, um, and his work is sort of six and a half, seven furlongs at the moment. Whereas if, if he was uh, training for a sprinter, one, he wouldn't be going down to the bottom, and two, he wouldn't be working over seven furlongs, you know. So it, it, it was a good, solid performance, and uh, I, I do feel that he will he will improve for, for, for the run. So it, it, it was fantastic. Uh, Richard, in your considerable experience of training horses, of of this sort of type of stamina requirement, if you like, to what extent can attitude um, get the better of of stamina? I.e., can 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 how relaxed he is have an impact on on whether he stays the distance or not? Massively, massively, Nicky. Uh, I mean, Bar Bar Cantrum to the start, he's 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 a dude. When I say a dude, he's an absolute gentleman, and he's never never flustered and never turns a hair, never does anything wrong. Um, and and it it will help him and and pedigree as well. I mean, his dam went over a mile and a quarter, ran over a mile and a half. So 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 there's, there's every sign that, that that we could stay. Uh, by our dad, this is for three-year-olds uh, on that side. No, we don't stay. But this 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 guy is uh, he's, he's 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 a little legend. I mean, all he does is eat and sleep and relaxes and. He's, he's given us every opportunity to have a go at a mile if, if we so feel it. What do you do if you don't 
go to a new market Guineas, does that mean you automatically go to France or do you go to Royal Ascot and go to the Jersey? What's the what's the route if you don't go to Newmarket? Well, the problem problem with a horse like this, uh, and it's frustrating for, for for trainers. You know, if if I sat down there and, and analysed it, I would love to go to a, a Group One over seven furlongs in six weeks' time. Uh, the problem is we don't have them races. Uh, there's only one Group One in, in Europe at the moment, which is the foray at the back end of the season. Now, York are trying very hard to get the, the Skybet race up to Group One status. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've put 400,000 down this year, but it's still a Group Two, of which we have to carry our Group One penalties, which, which not saying it's unfair, it's, it's, it's the rules and we have to abide by them. But in, in an ideal world, if, 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 it might, if I had my option and there was three Group Ones over seven furlongs, protecting this this horse that's probably the route i would go but uh, i don't have that option um you know what have we got we've got the hungerford group two we've got the, the goodwood race uh, group two which which we carry penalties but let's let's be positive I, i'm going to counter him this week see how he is uh, he, he took a good blow yesterday now which i felt he would uh, and i was just hoping his ability got him through it and it did so for me, it was a huge performance yesterday, and I'll see how he is by the end of the week and decide whether we go for the guineas. I and mean, the key question is this, Richard: You said yesterday you've seen this horse at Newmarket that you know you you think is an absolute beast in Native Trail. We just looked at him there, or you could have meant Caribus. I don't know either which of the, which of the two. But to what extent is that driving your decision? Um, it is in my mind, and and I wouldn't be doing my job properly if I, if if I wasn't worried about the opposition. I mean, Charlie's, both Charlie's calls are, are exceptional horses. One's a speed horse, and I'm a huge fan of him. And, and the other's a horse that'll be a tower stare and, and gallop right to the line, uh, native trail. Um, uh, I, I don't know is the answer. The problem is is the way I'm looking at it, and I've got to speak, whatever. I've had a chat with Sheikh Rashid this morning, and a uh, perfect gentleman, and, and is leaving the decision to me. But as I said to him, I'll speak to him at the end of the week, and we'll make a decision then. What was the question? Am I afraid of them? Of course, I'm afraid of them. Um, um, but we'll see. It's a question, we'll it's a question as, to, as to whether the extent to which their presence informs your decision about whether you go to the Guineas. I suppose. No, I'll, I'll either run or I, or, or I won't. I won't run away from from one or two horses. Quite right. Uh, if I feel if I feel it'll benefit our guy in the long term. Look, he, he is a star. Well, he's going to be a stallion no matter what he does from here. Um, but I, I think it's my right to protect him a little bit, and uh, I, I don't want to make a decision where where I asked him something impossible. Um, but at the minute, I'm I'm very pleased with the Arsenal. See how he counters this week and make a decision later. Welcome back. Neil Channing's just dusting the icing sugar off his trousers. Uh, luckily, Roger Verian's still with us, and that means we're going to launch into what the Phillies did this week. We'll start with the Fred Darling stakes at Newbury, which was won by, again, Charlie Appleby and William Buick, with Wild Beauty, who'd won the Grade 1 in Canada last year, where she beat the subsequent Breeders' Cup heroine uh, Pizza Bianca. Roger, you trained the filly in the red cap there, Miss Carol Ann. What was the um, verdict on her performance? Yeah, we really like this filly, and um, but the race didn't pan out for us. We had a lovely draw in six. Uh, I, I wish they sort of raced as an arrowhead down the middle, and we'd have covered her up lovely. But we were just—they raced in two groups, and we were just exposed uh, in the middle with no cover, and she overraced ever so slightly. I think, um, in retrospect, uh, you know, she was maybe two weeks off absolute peak fitness, and I think overracing early, she's just got tired. I don't think she disgraced herself. She's been working really well at home which suggests she's quick and she might be an interesting filly back at six furlongs at some point. Yeah, I thought that was the kind of obvious read, was is she, a, is she maybe a bit more of a sprinter? But yeah. I wondered whether I was being a bit too simplistic there. But you think she might be? Well, I think she, I mean, she won over seven at Newmarket first time up and, and, won, and was very strong through the line. So, you know, she, she, she definitely has uh, the stamina to stay, mm-hmm. but she's going to have to switch off and keep that speed to finish her races off. And she just might do that easier or kinder over six furlongs. So we'll see. We, we'll, um, you know, not be too um, disappointed or downbeat because it didn't work out yesterday. I think she's a nice filly for the summer. So if in the 2000 guineas we've got Native Trail here, who's your established 
um, miling champion as a two-year-old and is definitely going to stay. And you've got perfect power here, who's a really honest and honourable two-year-old who we wonder whether he might stay. In the Phillies uh, equivalent, we've got in spiral here, John Gosden's daughter of Frankel, who was the champion juvenile filly. And over here, we've got Aidan O'Brien's tenebrism, who's very good, but might not stay herself. You just don't know yet. Either way, um, those are the kind of horses that these lot have got to aim for. Is Wild Beauty got a shot of improving enough to get to get in their realm? Got a shot, yeah, but I, I yeah, I wouldn't, have, I wasn't exactly rushing. Best price twenty, <clears throat> yeah, I no wasn't, doubt about the stamina there. I wasn't rushing to check the prices immediately after the race. I just, it was a bit, you know, I mean, very nice and everything, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but I, it, it wasn't. It didn't quicken the pulse that much for did, me. Did it quicken your pulse? I thought it was a, an admirable performance. You know, very tough, tenacious filly. I don't think it was quite up to um, you know Guinea's Guinea's form. And um, I think uh, John Gosden's filly, you know, who looked very good last year. If she's uh, you know if she's hit every target in her build up to the Guineas, you know, she she could be the one. And I, and I like discoveries coming out of Ireland as well. Yes. Um, in the Arcos filly, you know, she she's uh, all in the pedigree, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. As a as a, a Group One winner, who's a half sister to two other Group One winners as well. Let's talk about Cache George Bowie's filly, who won the Nell Gwynn Stakes. This was, of course, over seven furlongs at Newmarket, and she did this with great professionalism. I was quite struck by Dave Locknan's encouraging words about "Hello, you." Afterwards, I know she thought she'd been a bit disappointing, but he said she was nowhere near wound up, and she'll come on a ton. Um, will Cache definitively get a mile, do you think, Roger? Um, William Buick was issuing a note of caution, wasn't he, afterwards? Just yeah, a note of caution. I, she might do, you know, but uh, if, if, I, if I trained her or owned her, I'd definitely roll the dice. You know, she's won a trial quite convincingly. You know, she's, she's gone wire to wire and, you know, she wasn't stopping through the line. You know, mm. she, she, she was uh, galloping out, so... I don't know. You'd, you'd run and find out on the day. See, that's quite interesting, because when we were talking about perfect power, you said, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I'd do. I'm going to sit on the fence. And here you say about Akashi, I would definitely roll the dice. Well, but I, I, I'm looking at it from, um, I guess, uh, as Richard slightly um, touched on, on on the phone call, you know, he's slightly at the back of his mind is protecting the horse's reputation yeah. as well. You know, this is a filly yeah, who, who, who doesn't, doesn't need her reputation mm. protected. She's already a Group Three winner. Um, you know, she was, uh, I think, stakes form as a as a two-year-old. The nice thing about fillies is, once they've won their group race, if they never register a bit of form again, mm. they never lose that off their CV. Yeah. Whereas a colt with stallion value, mm -hmm. you know, you can achieve a value. And you can spend the rest of it, your career downgrading them if you're not if you're not careful. So um, that's why I, I come at it the answers slightly differently for the Colt and the Philly. While we're on Phillies and Phillies who might be in this sort of bracket, how quickly could Amena get to that level? I mean, mm. you've you've had a go before, haven't you, at yeah. taking horses right out of maidens and slinging them in? Yeah, I should probably learn my lesson and take a bit of time with a with, with a filly. I'm not going to say she she's not going to run because you know she has the entry, and uh, I've not yet had a conversation um, with the owners about what route we take with her. But I, I think she's a really nice filly, and I think she's one um, you know for the season ahead. And um, you know she she's she's good, and she could have ran well in a trial, I think, as a as a maiden. Um, but it might be fair on her to maybe go, go Michael Seeley and then perhaps Ascot. I've never seen her in the flesh. She looks just on this evidence, and I wasn't at the Craven meeting, to be quite a specimen. Yeah, she, she's a big girl, and um, yeah, she's gorgeous as, as uh, racehorses go. She, she's made incredibly well. She's got loads of scope. And, um, you know, hopefully she's got some... Uh, you know, really, really big days ahead of her. But to jump straight into a guineas off the back of a maiden, it, it, it possibly doesn't feel quite right. Is that is that because you've been burned by past experience? Y yes, a little bit. And um, you know, also we're we're not yet sure what this uh, this maiden form is is worth. And um, you like her, though, don't you? I do like her. I like her a lot. <laughs> yeah. um, 
does she have a, a special a place in your heart as as Tajala, who you were? I don't think I've ever seen you enthuse about a horse so much as you did about him in your interview with Lydia earlier in the week. This two-year-old yeah. speedball who made a really striking debut. Yeah, I mean, he's you know, there's a lot to like about him on, on what you saw on the track on Thursday, but he's been showing up nicely at home for a little while and. Um, you know, Sheikh Ahmed asked us to go and buy buy a few horses, which uh, you know could be sort of early earlier type two year olds, because a lot of the homebreds take a bit of time to come through, and it's nice to to uh, get to get a nice order like that uh, from someone like Sheikh Ahmed and be you know buy the right horse and, and see you know having come out early and and win and look um, look quite useful. So, so was there a bit of personal satisfaction to that for a slightly different reason? A little bit, but yeah, sort of very selfish. Um, <laughs> and very small personal satisfaction because we all know it can can derail very quickly. Mm. But it, it was, you know, it was nice to um, not just for for that order or for or for that owner, but uh, I think to balance what we do as a stable. I think generally with second half of a season, two year olds, horses improving with age, maybe time and, and distance. It's nice to, um, you know, it's nice to, to to get a two year old out early and you know be sharp and and, and look decent. And you know, if we can get you know two or three. Types like him to Ascot. Mm. You know, we've had two, two win, two two-year-old winners at, at Ascot before. But it's nice to, it's nice to show yeah. that, that we can cover exactly. all bases. You know, as a stable. Exactly. That's really what I was getting at. I'm mm. not going to try and ask you to big yourself up because I know that's not really your style. <laughs> um, but I mean, it, 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 we were talking about expanding businesses, getting more horses, getting more owners. That's really important, isn't it? You don't want to be pigeonholed as someone who trains mile and a half fillies or two-year-old colts or whatever do you absolutely you know i think um i think a good trainer should be able to get the best out of any horse at its given moment and that might be you know over a mile and a half as a four-year-old having mm. been very patient or it might be over five furlongs in april as a two-year-old because that's that horse's moment and i think it's up to the trainer to recognize you know as individuals all the horses in your stable when their moment is and make sure that they're ready for that time Got a lovely homebred bumper filly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 how do you feel about going back to your roots? <laughs> I've got Warren Graytrex's number. <laughs> um, right, let's let's take a look at the best older horse performances of the week. Uh, Master of the Seas probably on ratings. Let's have a look at him in the Ellis Efton uh, for Godolphin and Charlie Appleby again. Is he, is he a horse, Neil, Master of the Seas, that now he has won a race again that can go and win his Group 1 as an older horse over a mile? Well, I mean, obviously, the, you know, the stable are not exactly struggling to find winners, are no. they? I mean, the horses, it, it's been a bit sort of headstrong in the past, hasn't it? And uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I think there were times last year, that I think I can remember at least one race where he was perhaps beaten by the draw. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, this is, you know, this is fairly comprehensive, isn't it? Yeah, is the answer. And he's saying that he might bypass the lockage and go to the uh, Queen Anne Stakes. Of course, in both races, you're likely to run in to Baid. And of course, is it fair to say, Roger, that Baid is the most exciting horse trained in trained in Britain or Ireland at the moment? Yes. Yeah. And you as a trainer, if you had a horse entered in any of those races that he is likely to turn up in, you can see why Charlie's thinking, well, I don't really want to go into, it, go into his jaws twice. Yes, I can see that. I, I think this horse is very good. Um, and uh, I'm sure he's a horse Charlie's going to excel with this year and, and you know, maybe even you know, nine furlongs at Maidan next March. He looks like that type of horse. and. Um, you know, Ascot's very important for, for, for trainers and, and for owners as well. And this horse looks like he can go to a Queen Anne, you know, with a general, genuine chance of, of, of being in the first three. And, um, you know, to get uh, a tough one in the lockings, you know, could leave its mark. So uh, I could see why Charlie might want to go straight to Ascot. Ian Renton is the managing director of Cheltenham and the West for the Jockey Club. And a formal consultation period is about to open on whether there should be a fifth day of the, of the Cheltenham Festival. Ian, good morning. Good morning, good morning Nick. Nick. 
Um, thanks so much for, for chatting to me this morning. Now, clearly, this is, it seems to be the subject that engenders the most fevered debate. Uh, now, ever since you took over at Cheltenham, and it's been, what, a, a decade now, uh, you've been asked about a fifth day for the Cheltenham Festival. Back in 2012, you said there's almost no chance of it happening any time in the near future. Even as recently as 2017, you were you know, pushing it back a, a fair way. And just before the, the pandemic, it didn't seem that there was any great enthusiasm amongst the executive for it. What's changed in that time, do you think? I, I think, uh, as you say, I've now been there 10 years and or been here at Cheltenham 10 years. Uh, and the view when I first arrived was, you know, we really wanted to build up the four days to something getting close to capacity. And until we were somewhere near there, what was the requirement to even consider a fifth day? Uh, I think probably in recent years, it's not just that the attendances are built up to what was a record attendance this year, uh, but also there have been a number of people uh, within the industry uh, I was just, just talking to Racego at Aintree on Saturday who said, are we ever going to have a, a festival on Saturday so I'll be able to come? And I think we're increasingly looking at trying to broaden, widen uh, the attendance to be able to allow anyone who wants to come uh, to consider it. And that's why we want to go out, out and ask as many people as possible what their thoughts are so we can actually just have a rational discussion uh, rather than possibly what we've done for many years is sweep it under the carpet. So with that in mind, then, if you do want to expand the opportunity for people to come and, and give people an opportunity to come on Saturday, could you not simply go Wednesday to Saturday, thereby not, to, to quote the, the commonly used um, uh, word on this, dilute the, the, the product? These are exactly the questions we want to be asking people. And you know, over the coming months, those are exactly uh, the sort of thoughts we want to hear as to people, whether people would prefer that, uh, whether that would work. We've we got to ensure whatever we do works commercially as well. Uh, as you know, I mean, the Jockey Club puts all its money back into prize money or facilities, and we wouldn't want to do something which is financially detrimental to us. Uh, I, th I think the two things we want to consider are how we can ensure the festival is as, a, as successful as, as it is now in many years to come, whether that is keeping it as it is or whether there is another format we should look at to make it better. I always feel when, when we're debating this, I'm, I'm sort of, I've got one hand tied behind my back because I simply have got no idea what extra revenue would be generated by having a fifth day. Your, your team must have done countless hours work on this. How much richer would Cheltenham and the Jockey Club be for an extra day? Can you give us some numbers? Can you give us some data? Uh, I think, as we said, I mean, we're, we're not just looking at the potential of an extra day. We're looking at all, all possible means of a, a different format. And that, that's what we want to listen to. That's, it, we, we want to hear the views of others. Uh, we've modelled many scenarios and... Uh, Everyone naturally comes up with a different answer depending on what one's modelling. But I think what is much more important is the views of our existing race goers, of our elders, and of those that currently are not coming to the festival and might want to. Um, so who are you going to consult? As many people as we can. I mean, we, we've started with our major stakeholders uh, and we'll be expanding that to talk to many race goers, annual members, uh, and any, any interested parties. So when you say major stakeholders, is that sort of every owner with runners at Cheltenham, every trainer, riders? Uh, it, it, it's a selection. Uh, it includes the media, it includes sponsors, it includes uh, uh, leading owners, trainers. And I say that will be expanded over the coming months to in include every interested party. But you see what I'm saying, Ian, it's really difficult to, to know whether you can kind of debate the merits or demerits of a fifth day at all, unless you actually know... Um, what what it's going to deliver to the sport financially? I mean, I sense your I sense your your reticence to talk about this in strictly commercial terms. Is it, it have you been have you sort of felt that 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 wave of opinion that this is about sort of corporate greed rather than the interests of the of the of the of the long term sport? I think any suggestion of corporate greed is. <laughs> 
complete nonsense, really. I mean, as we know, and as you know, Nick, I mean, the Jockey Club, we put the money back into racing. Uh, any, any additional funds we make from whatever we do will go back either into prize money, improve facilities, improve services for our racegoers and participants. So, you know, it's not something that is being taken out of racing. Uh, any improvement in our finances will go straight back into racing. Uh, but I think it's probably fair to say that is not the leading reason for following this route. It is to ensure that uh, we, we don't just necessarily enjoy the status quo. That might be the right thing to do. But we know we've got a great festival at the moment. I mean, we can all be incredibly proud of the festival we've got. But you know, we, as the Jockey Club, are custodians of that festival, need to ensure that in 10, 20 years' time, it is every bit as successful. And therefore, at the moment, we're exploring what may be the art of the possibilities, what other people think is best for the festival. Uh, so that, that's what we want to look at. And within that, we need to ensure that it is commercially viable uh, in whatever decision we take. Yeah, there's, there's clearly got to be some sort of major cost-benefit analysis exercise performed on this for you to understand whether it is worth having the whether it is worth having the fifth day balanced against you know, adding adding extra races. Have you given thought to what races you would add to the program if you if you do go to five days? I think that's always a matter for huge speculation. I mean, your guests earlier sort of came, came up with a couple of thoughts. Uh, it again, those are the sorts of questions we want to ask if we were to go uh, to uh, another day, if we were to find another race or two, what those might be. We had the speculation when we brought in the uh, the mayor's chase as to what race should be dropped. So I'm sure uh, if if it's a route we follow, there'll be plenty of speculation as to what what races might come in. Yeah, so that could come back, that novice handicap chase, theoretically, as could one or two other things. So if you did go to five days, the, the theory has been that you would have six races a day, so you would only add another two races so as not to dilute the quality of the product too much. If you did only have six races a day, could you justify charging what you're charging people for only six races on a, on a day's top-class racing? I think that's a very fair question and, you know, what, one of the questions we want to ask because, uh, as I say, at the moment people enjoy seven races, uh, how much would it lessen their enjoyment if the suggestion was that we had five, uh, five days or six races? Uh, the, the, those are questions we need answers to. But you, you would, you, I presume, Ian, would actively reject the idea that you could have five, five days with seven races per day, uh, thereby adding a, you know, a, a further you know, seven races in total to the, to, to the festival. Yes, I mean, we need to be absolutely certain that the track is in the best possible order. And I think all of us involved in the festival will be uh, of the view that 35 races uh, would not be sustainable on the current tracks. Could you manage uh, five days consecutively um, ground wise? I think, again, the questions need to be asked as to where uh, those extra races would go, which courses they might be on. Uh, and the, these are many of the questions we'll have for the future once, once we have the views of people as to what they think is the best way forward for the festival. Is there, is there a feeling that, that, that this is a more pressing concern now to, to attempt to, to, to bolster the coffers because of the impact of the, of the pandemic on, on the sports finances and particularly the, the jockey club's finances? I don't think there's anything urgent about it now at all. I mean, I think, as I say, we can look back on a fantastic four days racing uh, just four weeks ago and fantastic attendances. So in a way, you know, we got the luxury of being able to look at this uh, while we we're in a very successful phase of the festival. Uh, there is no urgency. I just think, I think you said earlier, you're, you're bored of hearing about five days for 10 years. And I think probably we've, We've been hearing about it for long enough now that we actually think we need to do something about it and actually go and consult people, have discussions. It's probably fair to say we sort of try to ignore the clamour for and against for many years, and we don't think we can ignore it anymore. There's been speculation around the time of the festival every year as to whether we're going to go for a fifth day, and we think let's look at all, all the options for the format of the festival, go and talk to as many people as we can and 
just hear their views rather than have people speculating as to what we may or may not be doing. Ian, you've got you've got a, a fairly kind audience to my right here, and Neil Channing and Roger Varian, both of whom seem fairly uh, philosophical about the idea of a, of a fifth day to the Cheltenham Festival. That is not the case at large, it seems. I, I've, I, there hasn't been a clamour for five days, has there? I have not heard anyone clamouring for an extra day. No, I think you're absolutely right. There is no clamour there, but there is a, a lot of discussion about it. And, you know, a uh, reading the papers or listening to the media uh, around the time of the festival, it, it comes up every year. So we think we just need to uh, face, face up to the discussion and ask people what, the, what their views are. So let me just get this absolutely clear. You as managing director of Cheltenham and the West, you're not trying to sell a fifth day. You're not, you're not there as an advocate for a fifth day saying this is, this, is how it, this is how it should be and this is why. Absolutely not. I mean, we, we, we are there to listen to what people's thoughts are, uh, whether major stakeholders or everyday racegoers. We, we want to know what, what their views are, what they believe in 10, 20 years' time uh, the best format for the festival is. And that's the discussion we've now started. So the idea that it's a done deal and Cheltenham has made its decision and this is just a cosmetic exercise, that is absolutely not the case. Absolutely not the case. He's had eight days for the dust to settle on what in all his glorious career as an owner, breeder, jockey, trainer in racing um, cannot ever be surpassed watching his son Sam win the Grand National on his own noble Yates. Um, Robert Whaley-Cohen, welcome. Thank you very much. What a very special day it was. And we will luxuriate over it. But I cannot, I cannot bring you onto this sofa a minute after we've been talking about a five-day Cheltenham Festival without asking as the former chairman of Cheltenham, and not so long ago either, whether you think it's a good idea. I think it's absolutely right to consider whether it should or not be more days or move from, as you suggested earlier, from Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, and one should review that. What I'd rather hope to get uh, was a proper pros and cons all set out. This is the benefits of doing this. This is the disadvantage of doing that. This is the financial advantage. This is the benefit to racing. The jockey club's Royal Charter is, says everything it does has to be for the greater good of British racing. So what we do has to be for that purpose, not just to make more money. But more money, of course, does, as, as Ian says, go back into racing in one form or another. Um, but it has to have real purpose. And we've always looked at how many horses rated over 140, which puts them in the top 10% of all the horses in racing, uh, don't come. Which don't come? Why don't they come? Do they come because don't come because they won't go left-handed or because they've got to go on a flat track or they want a two-and-a-half-mile hurdle race and there isn't one? So what is the reason they don't come and how many are there? Uh, so could you really fill uh, a fifth day? Is there any point in filling a fifth day? Is it essential to have a Saturday? I'd like to see all the pros and cons, commercial... Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and for the better good of racing. Do you have a rough idea about how much a fifth day would generate extra? Uh, in my view, I think one's betting the farm on it, but uh, no, I don't, is the answer. Uh, I, don't think it, I don't necessarily think it'll generate any more money. Really? It's going to be hugely expensive to put on. Uh, think of all the staff you've got to get and a lot of people who won't come and the competition for television and all. There's a whole lot of cons as well as pros. So I'm sensing from what you're saying that given your fairly in-depth knowledge of the place, you wouldn't be in favour of it. I think uh, on the information I have at the moment, I wouldn't be in favour. But I think, there are, I think there's, a, there's a lot of information that's still missing, which is why I think we should get, a, before we get asked to make a decision as a, as a jockey club, and I hope it is made by the jockey club and not by the executive, mm. uh, we should get all the facts and all the figures of all the pluses and all the minuses. Um, but I have to say, when we used to look and see which horses didn't come, uh, we used to think there were really very few. And when we used to look and say, what would happen if we had a really wet time to the car parks, to the racing surface, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So on the whole, I don't saw a fifth day is a good idea, but maybe moving on, shifting, as you suggested, from Wednesday to Saturday is a good day. But we're already sold out. So you're appealing to a slightly different crowd. Though I have to say, there seems to be an awful lot of young there. If you ever go to the Guinness Village on, 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 on any day, it's mm. at, perhaps not Wednesday this year when it was pouring with rain, but generally it's absolutely packed. 
It's a, it's it's a debate that is is going to run and run. There's no doubt about that. And I do, I I do want to talk about you and about Sam and about the Grand National in particular. Um, but you know, just just one final thing. I was talking to Ian there. What, what year did you become chairman at Cheltenham? I became chairman. God, that's a good question. 2011. 2011. Immediately after. Immediately after we won the Gold Cup. I mean, literally the same next day. Yeah. And and you were there for. I was there for eight festivals. Eight festivals. And so, actually, in all your time there, people were, were as I said earlier, banging on, talking about... Absolutely. A, a it's a proper debate. So who, was, who, who is pushing for it? I, that's what no, I want to know. I don't think anyone's pushing for it. I think it's one of those things you look at and say, should we or shouldn't we? Is it a good idea? Is it not a good idea? Yeah. Um, I think we've got a fantastic uh, four-day festival that works outstandingly well. Uh, and I think we're being very naive if we don't think we'll go to seven races instead of six. I don't think there's no festival anywhere that's stuck with six. It may have started with six, uh, but it very rapidly mm. went to seven. And lots of, uh, there are lots of reasons for the seven being a good idea. Would you like a four-day entry? I bet you would, wouldn't you? <laughs> I think entry is a fantastic festival. It's completely <laughs> different, different crowd, different <laughs> racing, um, attacks, uh, to a certain extent, slightly different horses, particularly as it's quite close to Punchestown. And the, uh, the Irish don't come and compete quite so aggressively as they do at Cheltenham. Um, having said which, uh, we, we watched uh, J.P. McManus win the five grade ones yeah. at Cheltenham. Uh, at, at entry. entry, I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, so uh, they don't exactly ignore it either. If you needed reminding of why Aintree might, at this point in time, be uppermost in Robert Whaley Cohen's affections. can have been few prouder moments in sport, never mind uh, horse racing. Robert Whaley-Cohen and son Sam celebrating the victory of Noble Yates last week. Robert, there have been so many, so many special days, so many days suffused with such significance. But did you ever, did you ever imagine that this was one that couldn't really happen? It was too much of a... <laughs> It was too much of a dream. It, 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 you, you could not make it up, as Sam said. I mean, you just you could. You say, for somebody to, uh, a, uh, to have a full-time job, to ride about 30 races under rules in a year, uh, to say on the Thursday that whatever happens next, uh, he's going to retire after the Grand National, and then to go and win it, it's not imaginable. You couldn't write it. What came through to me so strongly is, and I, I know we, we all love our children, you, you have immense love for your children, but um, your absolute admiration for for Sam as a, a, a as, as a man as well as a as well as a well, writer. he 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 fills um, every minute with sixty seconds and every hour with sixty minutes. I mean, he's he he really does pack everything in he possibly can, uh, and is incredibly dedicated to everything he undertakes. Uh, and for that, I, for those of us who like being a bit more idle, I have full admiration. And has he always been like that? Has he always been like that? Yeah. I think he pretty much... I think he's been... It's hard to know whether he's always been like that, but he's always had a huge curiosity and a huge joy out of life. Uh, and I think that really helps one all the way through. But, I mean, he's obviously been, as we all have, massively influenced by, by our losing uh, Thomas in, in 2004 and saying, actually, in relation to everything else that's going on in our lives, that is so... Make the most of it. Mm. That, and then everything else is relatively unimportant. Make the most of the time you have. Um, Robert, 
Roger Varian was, was talking earlier on about the way a, a family tragedy can draw you together, can bind you together, and you either get stronger for it or you recoil from it. Clearly for all of you, um, you, you harness that strength very positively. I, I think he was an absolute inspiration for us. I mean, he always was a sort of conscious that, he, that time was short and you just had to get on with things. Um, and it was no good saying, uh, funny enough, at his memorial service, one of his contemporaries said, uh, wouldn't it be nice one day? Uh, he said uh, they'd had a chat as, as schoolboys at school saying, wouldn't it be fun to go and see Barcelona play Real Madrid in Spain? And uh, sort of chatting about what would be great to see a fantastic football match. About three days later, Thomas Kane said, right, I've got four tickets, these are the flights, this is where we're going, get some money off your parents because this is what it's going to cost. And they all said, well, we were just sort of jostling. He said, well, either you're serious and we're going to do it or you're just insincere. Uh, life is short, let's go and do it. It's all sorted. And that was his approach to life and I think that's been a guide to all of us. And do you, do you feel that from, from the moment that, that Thomas died, do you feel that um, you and, and particularly Sam with his riding just sort of almost picked up that mantle and said, right, my, my, my whole outlook on life is just slightly different now. No, I don't think that would be fair. I, I, think, I think what's really fair is to say, if you're going to do this, do it properly. Mm -hmm. Don't play around the fringes. Do, do, it, do it well or don't attempt it. And for you, as somebody with the, you know, you had the, the financial ability to, to go out and buy really nice horses for, for Sam to ride, was there ever a a scintilla of doubt in your mind that he was the right man to, to run? No, I thought he... I, I, no, for, 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 for various reasons. Firstly, uh, I know he has the right talent, uh, and uh, which he pro, pro, pr proved, I'm not sure I can speak today, proved over and over again. Um, and uh, sure, he was learning as he went along. Um, and and he, yes, he was lucky to get on some nice horses, but actually, down at the start, it doesn't matter what sex you are, what religion you are, what colour you are, you're you and the horse, and you have to go and deliver. Um, even if you're on a good horse, you still have to deliver as a jockey. Uh, and uh, Sam always did.